All right, well, if you have your Bibles, uh, once you open them up to, to Colossians chapter 2, uh, we will be uh, back in Colossians after kind of taking a break for the summer to get ready for, for the launch of the church. Uh, we, we started in Colossians in, in January, and uh, we are you know, at the end of chapter 2 this morning, and what we're going to be looking at is chapter 2, verses uh, 20 through 23. Uh, so as you're as you're turning there uh, in your your Bibles, I want to tell you about a city in Poland uh, named uh, Krakow, K R A K O W, Poland. Uh, it has a, a magnificent uh, square in in the middle of the city, and uh, it's bordered on one side by uh, the massive spires of St Mary's Church. Uh, and uh, from the steeple of St Mary's, uh, a bugle is sounded. Uh, Every day, and it has been sounded every day for the last 700 years. And the last note of the bugle is always kind of muted and and, and cut short, uh, as if some disaster has has come upon the one bugling. Uh, and this, this 700-year tradition uh, is in memory of a heroic trumpeter, uh, somebody who uh, one night summoned all the people to defend their city against uh, the invading hordes of the Tartars. Uh, and as uh, he was sounding the last note of the blast to warn everybody, he was struck by an arrow uh, and killed so that that last note was cut short just as his life was. And, and the text that we're going to be looking at today in, uh, in Colossians 2 uh, is, a, is a text of warning. Uh, it's intended to, uh, to alert us uh, to coming danger. Uh, and that's uh, why Paul wrote it. He wanted to... Uh, to warn the church of Colossae against the false teaching that was beginning to uh, beginning to creep in. Uh, and, and what is it that he was warning against? Well, uh, it's something called asceticism. Uh, and it's not uh, a term that we uh, typically uh, use today, but asceticism is uh, a lifestyle that's characterized by abstinence from worldly pleasures, often for the purpose of pursuing uh, spiritual goals. And sometimes asceticism uh, looks just like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to abstain from, uh, from worldly pleasures. Uh, usually, if you think of an ascetic, you think of uh, a monk in Tibet uh, who, who's given up everything in life just to come and, and contemplate uh, the mysteries of eternity, so to speak. Uh, that would be, I guess you can call it natural asceticism. And then there's an unnatural asceticism where uh, people actually hurt themselves uh, in order to, to try and subdue their bodies uh, and to bring their body under their control. Because that's always a struggle, right? Uh, does, our, do our, does our body always do what we want it to do? Uh, there, there's this, uh, we, we are always faced with temptation. Now we, and kind of in a Romans 7 context of we do things that we, that we don't want to do and then we're, we're upset. So there's always this, this temptation and this tension of how do I control my body and, and how do I battle against sin? Well, the false teachers in Colossae had a solution uh, to uh, that problem. Uh, and Paul is speaking against what they were proclaiming uh, in uh, their day. Uh, and asceticism isn't just something that, that Buddhist monks do way over in Tibet. Uh, the, uh, a man named Anthony, who was the, the founder of Christian monasticism, okay, that, that started the, uh, the, the, the order of monks, uh, he, he never changed his vest or washed his feet. Yeah, I probably wouldn't want to sit next to that guy uh, for, for too long. Uh, uh, and, but, but not to be outdone, uh, a man named Simeon Stylites, who lived in uh, the 5th century, 
spent the last 36 years of his life atop a 50-foot pillar. Uh, Simeon mistakenly thought that the path to spirituality lay in exposing his body to the elements and withdrawing from the world. Now, I, I want to know more of the logistics of that. How do you live for, for 36 years on a, on a pillar? Uh, what does that look like? But uh, that, that is asceticism at its core. But even if, if you go a little bit deeper than asceticism, what's, what's at the heart of asceticism is something called legalism. Uh, the, the, the idea that you can do certain things and be right with God, uh, that you can save yourself through good works. And uh, I, would, I would kind of expand legalism, I would say, into three, three smaller categories. One would be salvific legalism, of yeah, trying to earn your salvation, trying to earn righteousness with God by doing good works uh, through your own efforts. Okay, salvific legalism. Another one would be authoritative legalism, where we elevate our standards above God's word. So, so hey, God, God's word says this, but I'm going to go even further, and then I'm going to call people to obey my rule rather than just God's rule. That would be authoritative legalism. And then uh, I would say there's a, a functional legalism, uh, where uh, we try and make ourselves holy uh, in our own wisdom and in our own way. Okay, which is what uh, Simeon uh, did, right? Hey, I'm going to make myself holy by by standing on a being on a pillar for 36 years. All right, that seems kind of uh, kind of ridiculous. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. So he's he's trying to make himself holy in his own way, uh, according to his own wisdom, rather than uh, what God has commanded. So, uh, and Paul is writing to address this false teaching that's being presented in, in Colossae. Uh, and just to kind of review, since it's been so long since we've been in Colossians, uh, Colossians 1, uh, 1 through uh, verse 23 is all about who Jesus is. Uh, all about uh, Jesus being the creator and owner of everything. He's the one uh, that all things uh, belong to. He is the one that sustains everything. Then in, in Colossians 1.24 through chapter 2, verse 5, we see uh, Paul begins to, to introduce himself to the Colossians because they had never met him. He says, hey, this is who I am. I, I am an apostle of Christ, uh, and this is what Christ has commanded me to do, to, to proclaim his word and to proclaim, proclaim specifically a mystery. Uh, if you look at chapter 1, verse 27, he outlines what that mystery is. He says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, what Paul came to proclaim was uh, a truth of if you believe in Christ, you are united with him. You are made one with him. Uh, and that's going to be a, a key, uh, key uh, topic or key truth that's going to refute what these false teachers have been claiming, that you can make yourself righteous by uh, abstaining from certain things. Hey, if you don't drink this, if you don't eat this, uh, you'll be more holy. Or if you observe this uh, holy day, you'll be more acceptable to God. And, and what Paul is going to lay out is uh, a couple of different arguments here. Uh, he's going to begin in verse 20 uh, with a theological argument for why that is false. And then in 21 through 23, he's going to explain just some logical reasons that why that would be false. So let's, let's read those verses uh, now. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Uh, Paul writes, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish 
as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so, uh, first thing that we're going to, to look at uh, is the, the theological principle that discredits asceticism and legalism. And that's in, in verse 20, uh, where he, he begins by, by posing a question, kind of a, kind of a hypothetical. He says, hey, uh, if, if you've died with Christ, why, why do you still live like you're, you're in the world? Uh, if, if this is true, why are you acting in this way? Uh, and the, the biblical truth here, the theological truth, again, is that uh, if you are a believer, you have been united with Christ in faith, that you are in him, he is in you, just as we saw in uh, Colossians 1.27, uh, that, that Paul introduces this as the theological reason why uh, punishing yourself to be more holy is, is false, and trying to keep rules to make yourself more uh, uh, pleasing to God would would be an impossibility, uh, and uh, what he what he's pointing to is, hey, in Christ you have you've died to all of that, uh, and because we have uh, been united with Christ, we participate in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So those things would be true uh, of us. And and what he's saying and saying you you've died to those things uh, is saying you've been set free from those things. Uh, you have been set free. Paul's point is that uh, if you've died to something, you have been made free. And you've been made free from man's teachings. The, the elemental spirits of the world, uh, it's kind of an ambiguous term, but I think it's best understood to be these, uh, these legalistic man-made regulations uh, that had been presented to, to the church. Uh, and so uh, if you've died to something, you've been set free from it. So if I were to die today, I would be set free. The laws of the city of Meridian and the state of Idaho and the United States of America would no longer be applicable to me, right? There's no, you can't persecute a dead person. Uh, and so those laws would have no power over me anymore. And in the same way, if uh, during the times of slavery, if a, if a slave died, he was in essence set free for his master had no longer any authority over him. And, that, and that's what Paul is saying here. Hey, th- those, those legalistic rules, those man-made rules that you used to have to obey, that you used to submit yourselves to, you're freed from that. You no longer have to follow those rules, those man-made rules, because you've died in Christ. He has set you free, and now you are alive in him. And and the reality is, this is a biblical truth that's not very popular, Uh, but uh, we'll say that that everyone who, who does not believe in Jesus is a slave to sin. Everybody who does not believe in Christ is a slave to sin. In John 8:34, Jesus says this. He says, Jesus answered them, speaking to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Titus 3.3 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then 2 Peter 2.19 says, they, uh, speaking of false teachers, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. 
But, but the reality is that, that in Christ, if you have believed in Christ, you are set free from slavery to sin, set fr- free from the bondage of man-made rules and regulations because uh, we've died with Christ. And we haven't just died with Christ. As we, as we saw in Romans 6, what else has taken place? We have been raised with him to newness of life. And that's where uh, this, this truth of our, our union with Christ is, is so critical to uh, our our life as a Christian, as we now seek to follow Christ, we have to understand that we are living a new life. The old man has died, and the, there is a new resurrected man that has come in his place, and we are a new creation in Christ. And all that we used to be in bondage to, we no longer have to be in bondage to that anymore. We can be set free if we place our faith in Christ. And what Paul is saying here to the Colossians is, realistically, just live consistently. He says, hey, if this is true, why are you acting in this way? See, the Colossians had understood that they had died with Christ, that they had placed their faith in him, that they were now participants in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But even though they knew that mentally, somehow there was a disconnect from their head to their heart to their hands. And they weren't living out who they truly were in Christ. And Paul's looking, and he's just saying, hey, there's an inconsistency here. If you've been set free, why do you, why do you return to that old master? If you've been set free, why do you go back to what used to enslave you and, and submit yourself to it? And, and he's saying these man-made regulations, you, you don't have to submit to them anymore because you have been set free. But, but what are those man-made regulations? Well, look at, look at verse 21. He he gives examples of them. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So, so he's, what he's speaking of here are like dietary restrictions, dietary regulations of, hey, you're not allowed to eat that. Uh, and if you eat that, you're unpleasing to God. No, you're not allowed to, to drink that. Or uh, if you also look back at Colossians 2, verse 16, at the, kind of the beginning of this section, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It was also a part of what uh, Paul addressed. The, the false teaching that was present was a, was a ritualism. If, hey, if you do these things, you can be acceptable to God. And now, uh, here in 20 through 23, he's saying, don't just think that you can punish yourself and be more acceptable to God. Asceticism has no value before the Lord. These man-made regulations of dietary restrictions and the, the observance of, of specific holy days or, or touching or handling certain objects uh, and, and possibly uh, other, other washing rituals, which we'll, we'll talk about and see in a second. But he says, such men teach these regulations, believing that in keeping them, they can be acceptable to God. And they can be more holy if they, if they restrict themselves, if they don't give in to certain uh, practices. But the reality is uh, that's, that's of no value uh, in, in dealing with sin. Uh, and uh, it's, it's inconsistent for us to go back and try and keep those regulations that are man-made uh, if we have died with Christ. We have been freed from the bondage of the world's teaching and ideas that elevate man's rules and regulations. We no longer have to submit to those. Christ died to save us from such slavery and man-made laws. 
Uh, and now, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he has done in going to the cross, uh, giving his life on the cross, like paying the penalty that we deserve, the wrath of God, and then going to the grave and resurrecting because of what Christ has done, we can now be freed from the bondage that we used to have to submit to. Uh, and if this is what is true for us, what should we do? Well, we, should, we should live in light of truth, right? We should live in light of what, it, what is reality for us. If we have died and have been raised to newness of life, we need to live that way. Uh, we don't want to have that, that disconnect, that, that inconsistency within our lives. Uh, and this, this is the overarching theological truth that, that Paul points uh, the Colossians too of hey you you don't don't go back to those those man-made rules that you used to try and do to to earn salvation and to and to make yourself more holy don't go back to those but rest in who you are in Christ and after explaining the the overarching theological principle hey you've been united with Christ uh, in the remaining verses then Paul begins to explain why hey this is just logically inconsistent not only is it theologically wrong but it's logically inconsistent and doesn't make any any sense. So in verses 21 to 23, Paul lays out the logical principles that discredit asceticism and legalism. And and it would be be three uh, big uh, principles. The the first one would be uh, in verses 21 and the first part of 22 that that man-made regulations pertain to temporary matters, but but, uh, temporary and, and physical, but not to spiritual and eternal matters. If you, if you look in, in verse 21, again, as we said, do not, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. Uh, and what Paul is saying here is that he cites three examples of these, of these rules that the, the false teachers were, were presenting to the church. Say, hey, you can't do this. And notice it's always don't, 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 right? Uh, and uh, for those of you who are parents, uh, when you tell your child don't, does that always work? <laughs> no, not, not at all. Uh, and, and so these uh, these rules of hey, just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, address the spirit. It's only addressing physical things. It's only addressing things that, as they are used, they're consumed and done away with. Right? Uh, when you eat food, how many times can you eat that food? Just one time, because you consume it once and then it's gone. Uh, it's only a one-time use. Uh, and so once, once food is eaten, it is, it's destroyed. Uh, and Paul makes this point as well in 1 Corinthians six thirteen. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but, but God will destroy both the one and the other. Now, hey, these are, these are temporary matters concerning what you eat or drink. That doesn't have anything to do with what is spiritual and what's eternal. Uh, that, that's, that's a here and now element, but it, it, it doesn't help us uh, in, in the long run of eternity. And, and what's amazing is what Paul is saying here, uh, he's just echoing what Jesus said in the Gospels. Uh, and that's, that's true of what, what's in the New Testament letters has been uh, is, is built upon the foundation of what Christ taught in the Gospels. If you keep your finger there in, in Colossians 2 and, and turn over with me to Mark chapter 7. There's a, uh, a great example as Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees of his day. Uh, we, can, we can begin to see what, what this, this attitude looks like. So, so Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, 
speaking of Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And so, so it's interesting. Of What were the, the man-made regulations that the Pharisees followed? Hey, you have to wash your hands in a particular way before you eat. Uh, and then it says they also carried on these, these rituals of, of washing cups and, and pots and copper vessels. And, and such rules can't possibly lead to salvation. Right? They, they can't possibly lead to, to sanctification. So if we were to go up and ask you know, these, these Pharisees of, hey, how are you growing in, in your relationship with the Lord? How are you increasing in your faith and walking with God? Their answer, according to this, would be, well, well I washed my hands thoroughly, uh, and, and I, I washed my, my clay vessel and my, my copper pot. Right? And, and you would be like, well, that's great, but how does that, how does that help you in any way, shape, or form in your relationship with God? It's, it's of no, no value to, to do that. Now, the, these, these rules only deal with what is temporary and physical, but they have no connection with anything that, that's spiritual or eternal. Uh, and uh, as one pastor said, that imposing prohibitions from without can, can do nothing to create new life within. Now, all of these rules, can, they, don't, they don't penetrate what really matters because they're only dealing with temporary things. Uh, that's the first logical argument that Paul presents. Of, hey, number one, uh, it only deals with things that are physical and temporary rather than the spiritual and eternal. And then number two, uh, man-made regulations reflect man's understanding, but not God's wisdom. Look at the end of, of verse 22, going back to, to Colossians. Keep your finger there at Mark, because we'll come back. But uh, In Colossians uh, 2, 22, at the end of 22, he says, uh, this is according to human precepts and teachings. Uh, and the end of verse 22, if, if you, uh, I like the way the ESV has translated it, because they translate the beginning of verse 22 as kind of a, a parenthetical statement. And if we begin in, in verse 21 and read it without that parenthetical statement, it would sound like this, so, uh, or at the end of verse 20, why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. And really, that's an even bigger issue than just that these regulations only uh, deal with what is temporary uh, and physical. At the heart of it, these regulations, we don't need to submit to them. Why? Because they come from who? They, they come from other, other men and not from God. That, that is the, the big issue here. And if you, if you jump back with me to Mark chapter 7, uh, let, let's pick it back up in, in verse 5, because Jesus is going to make this exact point. Mark 7, verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Say, hey, Jesus, why don't, why don't you follow man's tradition? And Jesus is going to turn the tables on him. Verse 6, and he said to them, well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. 
And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. See, the Pharisees were trying to condemn Jesus for not following man's tradition, but Jesus says, how dare you replace the the word of God, the commandment of God, with your own ideas, with your own instructions and commands. Uh, You have replaced and elevated your teaching above God's word. And when we... When we make rules uh, that we have to follow for our own sanctification, in our own wisdom, not something that is, that is spoken of in Scripture, but when we create our own rules for something, we are guilty of this same reality, that we, we've made the Word of God void. We, we've, made, uh, we, we've acted like it's empty uh, and of no value, and we have elevated our own teachings above what God has said. And when we follow our own ideas regarding how we can be saved or how we can grow in holiness, we're guilty of this same foolish thinking. When we, when we abandon God's word, it's like we're, we're saying, hey, I'm going to navigate across the ocean, uh, but I'm going to do it without a compass, without a map, without a, a rudder, or without sails. We're like, hey, I'm just going to row there. Is, is that going to be successful? Are you going to row across the ocean? There's no possibility of that happening. There's no way. Uh, And that's where we cannot fall into this thinking that that we can sanctify ourselves, that we can save ourselves by uh, by, uh, whether it's uh, abusing our bodies or following our own man-made rules and regulations. Uh, None of those things are what is able to save us or sanctify us. And, And that's Paul's point in the in that second uh, logical argument. And the third logical argument that he makes is found in verse 23. And, and this, this argument is going to say man-made regulations, they bring outward conformity, but not inner transformation. Let's look at verse 23. It says, these, speaking of the man-made regulations, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, see this is, in, in this verse, Paul concludes and summarizes his entire argument against these false teachers. Uh, and, and what he has laid out is, hey, these, these legalistic practices, they, they don't really address the issue. Uh, and they are uh, it, it, the capstone statement. They're they're how valuable in, in dealing with sin? No value. Uh, they, they are they are worthless when it comes to truly dealing with sin, which is what asceticism is all about. You you try and combat sin in your body by abusing your body or or abstaining from uh, certain practices. You're trying to battle against sin, uh, and these these regulations that that he says that have been taught to the Colossians by these false teachers. He says that they're, they're useless against sin, but he, rather than, than dealing with sin, here's what, they, here's what they actually promote. And he mentions three things. 
they're, they're, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Kind of a, a do-it-yourself. That's the big trend right now in America, right? Do-it-yourself, uh, fix your home. Uh, this is do-it-yourself religion. Do it your own way. Uh, kind of worshiping whatever seems best to you. And this is actually connected back to verse 18. Uh, in verse 18 of Colossians 2, uh, he addresses the, the worship of angels that the, these false teachers were promoting. Verse 18 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. He's saying, hey, it's not, a, it's not something where we get to choose whatever we want to worship. We have to worship God as our creator. And this is built upon everything in Colossians 1, which was about who Christ is and what he has done for us. Uh, so these regulations are great in promoting self-made religion. Do it yourself, worship whatever you want. Hey, these rules and regulations are great for that, but they're not good for dealing with sin. The second thing that they are, are helpful in promoting is asceticism. And, and this is a loaded term for the Colossians. This was a term that, that the false teachers in, Col- in Colossae would, would have used. And the word really uh, is the idea of humility. And you're like, oh, hey, humility is a good thing, right? Uh, but, but the way that it's used here, it, Paul is using it with, with a negative connotation. And uh, what, what would have been taught to the Colossians was that they need to, uh, to humble themselves, in essence, because the angels are greater. And they need to worship the angels uh, rather than God because that is what the angels can help them deal with sin. Uh, and so they, if, they, if you follow these rules and you worship angels and you follow these religious observance and special days, you'll be right with God. And Paul has addressed each of those of, hey, it's not ritualism, it's not mysticism, it's not asceticism, but it's the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. You've been united with him. Uh, so the, these false teachers of saying, hey, uh, this, this asceticism, it's good for promoting that, but it, it's of no value in dealing with sin. And then the third thing that it's good for promoting is, is severity to the body. It's literally kind of sparing very little for the body or treating your body harshly. Um, and again, it points back to, the, to those ritualistic practices of verse or 16, uh, where, uh, hey, don't eat this, don't drink this, make sure you observe all of these practices. Uh, and then we're given examples of those in verse 21. Of, hey, the, so the, these rules and regulations are, are great at promoting uh, an, an appearance, an outward appearance of, uh, of godliness, so to speak. Of, hey, you look great on the outside. But, but the reason that these regulations are utterly devoid of any power is because they don't get to what is really the cause of sin. Turn, turn back with me to, to Mark chapter 7 again. Uh, I know, I know we, we're bouncing back and forth quite a bit, but uh, Mark 7, again, Paul is just building upon what Christ has already taught and laid out. Mark 7, verse 14. Jesus, and he called the people to him and again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. 
So that immediately addresses what the Colossian uh, false teachers are saying. And then verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So, so coming back to, to Colossians, the, the reason these, these regulations and these man-made rules don't deal with sin is because they don't deal with the heart. See, Jesus says, where, do, where does sin begin? In your heart. So, so if you're going to accurately deal with sin, where do you have to begin? With the heart, right? So, so think of it this way. If, uh, if, if you were to go to, to the doctor and uh, just for a regular checkup, but at that checkup you found out that, that you had cancer. And so you say, okay, doctor, well, what's, what's the best plan uh, of, of treatment? How do, how do I deal with this cancer that, that now is in my body? And, and if the doctor said, well, you know what, we will we'll just put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, and, you know, if necessary, we can change the bandage out, like maybe every day. We'll just put a Band-Aid on, on that cancer, wherever the, the cancer is in your body. We'll just put a Band-Aid. Uh, would you feel comfortable with that treatment plan? No? Yes? <laughs> no, not at all. Why? Be, because it doesn't really, is that going to help your, your cancer at all? No, you, if you're going to deal with the cancer, where do you have to go? Wherever it is, and you have to uproot it and get it out of there. Uh, and that's the reality with sin as well. If you're, if you're really going to deal with sin, man-made rules and regulations aren't going to do it. The only thing that can deal with sin, the only thing that can deal truly with the human heart is the gospel. Uh, is who Jesus is and what he has done. The only thing that can transform the human heart is the Spirit of God working in your life to bring about salvation, to bring about sanctification. And that is what Paul is saying here. These, these rules are completely bankrupt because they address the wrong thing. And interestingly enough, the, these, these man-made rules are, are completely completely empty. Uh, but, but also, even if you were to go so far as to say, well, you know, I won't, I won't follow man-made rules, but I'm going to follow just, just God's rules, and then I'll earn my salvation. Then I'm going to do that. Well, uh, even the law of God, the, the Old Testament, it was, it was not given for our salvation. Be, be, because, again, even, even the, the law of God in the Old Testament is unable to, to transform the human heart. If, if the law of God was able to transform the human heart, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come, right? Jesus would, would have no purpose in coming and dying on the cross if the law could have saved us. So if the law of God is unable to save us, how would man-made rules be able to save us, right? Uh, and uh, the law of God was given to, first and foremost, show us our sinfulness, <laughs> And, and the holiness of God. It, the law was our tutor. The law was what showed us that we needed Christ, that we desperately needed him. Uh, and, and ultimately, apart from 
Christ, we never get to salvation. We never get to forgiveness. We never get reconciliation, which is what we talked about last week. We, there, there's no reconciliation apart from Christ. And trying to, trying to earn your, your way to salvation is like trying to, to run there on a treadmill. Right? You, you'll never get anywhere. Uh, you, you'll never get to uh, earn God's uh, the satisfaction of the, the wrath that is destined for you for your sin. You, you can't earn his forgiveness. You can't follow all of these rules and become right with him. It's only by placing your faith in Christ alone uh, and depending upon uh, the Spirit of God to help you obey and grow in your faith with Christ. And that is how... Uh, we're saved by the Spirit of God, and then uh, we're sanctified in the power of the Spirit. In, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, similar to this, uh, the Galatians, on Paul's first missionary journey, he went through the, the area of Galatia, planted all of these churches, taught the Word of God, uh, and it wasn't long before they, they began to shift into a different gospel. Hey, you have to do all of these things in order to be saved. And, and Paul says this in Galatians 3, uh, verse 2 and 3. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says, hey, you were saved by the Spirit, but now you're going to sanctify yourself? No, you, you're saved by the Spirit, and it's the Spirit working in you that sanctifies you. Uh, and so we must understand that, that our union with Christ sets, sets us free from this, this burden and bondage of, of legalism, of trying to, to earn our way to salvation or trying to grow in, our, in holiness in our own efforts apart from God's word and God's spirit. Uh, and uh, in, in saying that, hey, we no longer have to submit to, to man-made rules and regulations, what I am not saying is that we just disregard uh, any rules or prohibitions or commands that are established for us in the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying here this morning, because uh, as, as believers, we're no longer under the Old Testament law, but we are under a law, and that's the law of Christ. Uh, and so we are still called to submit to what we see in Scripture. Uh, but we also need to be aware of when, when somebody goes beyond what Scripture says. Uh, if they are establishing something that, that's man-made rather than something that's rooted in God's Word, we have to to know that and understand that. But how do we, how do we identify what's in God's word and what's not? Or, or what's a man-made regulation? We have to know and be familiar with God's word. We have to, uh, to be students of the word and to daily be in the word, understanding what God has commanded, what he is calling us to now as followers of Christ. Uh, and, but, but this is amazing of what Paul is saying here, that these, these rules and regulations can't, deal with sin because they don't deal with the heart. Uh, and the gospel is what deals with the heart. And, and that lifts our burden, doesn't it? Uh, of trying to, trying to do all of these things. Because as, as, as soon as you tell somebody that they can work for their salvation, you've placed a tremendous burden on them. And you know what that burden is? Uh, they now are trying to work. <laughs> they're, they're trying to, to earn God's favor. And what comes with that is... Uh, some ambiguity, because if you're trying to earn God's favor, what question is always kind of hanging out there? Have I done enough? If I'm, trying, if I'm trying to earn God's favor, the question then exists, have I done enough? Do I need to do more? And, and what's always there, as long as we're alive, we're going to be sinners. 
Uh, and so now you're in this race of I have to try and stack up more good deeds to outweigh my sin. And, and so you, be, you get on this, uh, this hamster wheel, this, this treadmill that's never ending, and it's a huge burden. Uh, in at the end of next month, uh, what we're going to celebrate is not uh, not just Halloween, but but Reformation Day, and specifically this Reformation Day on October 31st is a very special anniversary because 500 years ago, Martin Luther uh, had had some critiques of the Catholic Church that that he nailed to a church door in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, and it and it was a catalyst that transformed the world. And Martin Luther had experience on that, on that hamster wheel, on that, on that treadmill of trying to earn God's favor. Uh, one, one biographer of Luther has said this, that, that Luther was driven, even obsessed, to find salvation through his own efforts. Luther said, When I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fastings, Vigils, prayers, and other very rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my works. Because that is what was being taught to Martin Luther at that time in the Roman Catholic Church. That you need to do these things in order to be right with God. Elsewhere, Martin Luther wrote, I tortured myself with, with prayer, fastings, vigils, and freezing. He said, the frost alone might have killed me. So, so think about that. Oftentimes we think of this kind of a, asceticism or punishing ourselves it's come some distant far off thing that we don't really deal with or is not really a possibility but it creeps in in ways that we don't even know uh and and this desire to to punish ourselves or bring our body under control luther felt it we all feel it at times this this biographer said in short luther was determined to find salvation from god through rigorous asceticism however he quickly discovered he could not do enough to merit God's approval. Because that, that's the reality. If you, if you try and earn God's approval, you realize very quickly you can't. But, but later on, he realized these efforts were driven by a faulty view of God and Christ. He said, what else did I seek by doing this but God? Who was supposed to note my strict observance of the monastic order in my austere life? I constantly walked in a dream and lived in real idolatry, for I did not believe in Christ. I regarded him only as a severe and terrible judge, portrayed as seated on a rainbow. He began to see that he could never achieve moral perfection. But, but what this did is it drove him to the Word. And as he began to, to study Romans and Galatians, he, he, he realized something, and especially Romans 1.17 Romans 1.17 says, for, it is, for in it, speaking of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And in this, listen to this quote from Luther. He says, at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live there i began to understand that the righteousness of god is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of god namely by faith and this is the meaning the righteousness of god is revealed by the gospel namely the passive righteousness with which merciful god justifies us by faith 
as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. So, so Martin Luther realized, hey, I, he got off that, that treadmill of trying to earn his salvation. Uh, and it felt like he had entered heaven itself. The, the, the burden was lifted and he now understood uh, how to know he, that, that he was secure in, with his relationship with God. It wasn't based upon things that he had done, but in trusting in faith in what Jesus did. And, and that's, that's what Paul is saying here, that if you have been freed from that in Christ, don't, don't go back to that. Why do you want to go and take that burden back on your shoulders and upon yourself? See, legalism is the antithesis of the gospel message. And, and at its core, this is what Paul is addressing here. You can't earn your salvation and you can't sanctify yourself in your own wisdom by keeping man-made rules and regulations. And all of, all of us are guilty of legalism in some way. So some of us, remember I mentioned those, those three kinds of, of legalism. Some of us have, have been on that rat race of trying to earn salvation with God. Uh, and that, that's exhausting. And I would encourage you, hey, turn to Christ in faith. Turn from sin and trust in Christ. Some of us are also guilty of that authoritative legalism where, where we go beyond what God's word has said. Uh, and then we try and teach it and hold others to that. Uh, and, and to those of us who are guilty of that, I've been guilty of that in, my, in certain times in my Christian life. And what would the gospel call us to do is to, to turn from sin and trust in Christ. And for those of us who are guilty of that, that third type of legalism, that, that functional legalism of, hey, I believe the, the gospel, but now I'm going to sanctify myself. Now I'm going to make myself even more pleasing to God by doing all of these things. That, it's, that functional legalism. I think that's the one that we are probably all most guilty of, of not truly being dependent upon God's word, God's spirit. Uh, we just kind of get this, I'm going to try harder attitude, and I'm just going to deal with sin by establishing these rules and regulations. And in essence, what Paul's also saying here is kind of like, how's that working for you? Right? <laughs> just just kind of a little, little pragmatism there from Paul. How's that working? And he knows that it's not, because he knows it's not addressing the heart. And so we can be free from all of the, these rules and regulations if we just turn to Christ in faith. Uh, and, and for those theological and logical reasons that we saw this morning, uh, we don't have to turn there. The, the alarm has been sounded by Paul. The, 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 the trumpet has blown, and now may we all uh, be on guard uh, against that creeping into our lives in subtle ways. Uh, and now let's... Let's pray and ask God to help us in this. And, and what, we, what we typically do is I'll, is I'll pray, um, and then there will be kind of a, uh, just a brief time where we would invite you to pray in, in the, the quietness of your own heart and uh, ask the Lord how he would have you respond to this. Ask him to, to show you ways that, that you've been a, uh, a practical or a functional legalist, and then ask him to grow you and, and turn away from those and to trust in Christ. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to come to you and praise you for, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your wisdom, Lord. We thank you that in your wisdom, you don't have us try and earn 
your favor. You don't have us try and uh, earn righteousness to earn salvation in our good works because it's impossible. Lord, we thank you for providing the sacrifice on our behalf, providing your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bearing our sins upon the cross, for enduring the wrath of God. We thank you for being buried and not staying buried. Lord, you rose from the grave and you are alive today, seated at the right hand of God. And we have been united with you in faith. We have participated in your death, in your burial, and in your resurrection. And now we have newness of life because you have been raised. Lord, for that we thank you, we praise you, Lord. We ask that you would shine your heavenly spotlight through your word, through your spirit upon our hearts that we might see the ways that we have drifted into legalistic attitudes or legalistic tendencies. And Lord, call us back to the gospel. Call us back to uh, your spirit because only your spirit is able to address our hearts. So Lord, we pray that you would transform our lives, that you would sanctify us, not in our strength, but in yours. Lord, empower us to walk faithfully before you today, we ask in Jesus' name.